James chapter number 5 in your Bibles this morning. James chapter number 5. We're going to begin reading here in verse number 13. Verse number 13. When we come to this place in our Bibles and in this text, we've been dealing with some interesting things. When we study through the book of James, I don't know about you, but I find lots of times I say amen and other times I say, oh me, wow. Because there's so many convicting things in the book of James. One of the big things that is constantly pounded on uh, the people of the church that are, the book of James was written to is you got to watch your mouth and uh, care for your tongue. And it's something that we're all working on and should be working on very diligently. And then, uh, as we come here to the last chapter, we've been dealing with a couple things. One, uh, I've preached recently that we need to uh, be patient. How many of you love being patient? Isn't it just great? We need to be patient. And the next message I preached was uh, we need to not, don't swear. I talked about that last Sunday morning. Be patient, don't swear. And let me tell you something, if you're going to be patient and stop swearing, you're going to need the next message. You and I need to pray. <laughs> uh, it's going to take prayer in order to live the Christian life. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. And uh, so we talk about prayers. We come into these next few verses. And I want to preach this message Prayer availeth much. Prayer availeth much. And uh, prayer, prayer works. Prayer accomplishes something. Uh, prayer. Now, I'll just tell you, prayer is a biblical concept that often is greatly misunderstood. And I'll just have to tell you right now, I don't know all I know about, I don't understand all I know about prayer. And I don't necessarily get it all the time, but I know all through the scripture we are commanded to pray. Now, if you're an honest thinking person like me, uh, <clears throat> then prayer can sometimes be a bit confusing, right? Uh, I mean, why do I pray? Why do I pray to a God who knows everything? Why do I pray to a God who... Uh, is of perfect understanding. Why do I pray to a God who has a plan and a will for my life? I mean, why pray? Now, some people have this idea that we pray uh, to impress God. We pray to tell God things. We pray, but the truth is, prayer goes deeper than just our requests. I heard this years ago, and it helps me. I mention it often. But it helped me to understand prayer really for the first time. Adrian Rogers said, we do not pray to inform God. You know, sometimes we think uh, we've got to pray and our prayer time says, Lord, I want you to know that I have an ingrown toenail on my left big toe. And uh, do you think that you need to tell God about the ingrown toenail on your left big toe? He already knows about it. Now you can ask him to help you with it and he's glad to. But you don't have to, you can't inform God. How can you tell God that knows everything, anything? Something I think that's amazing about God's relationship to me is God knows a massive amount of information about me that I have no clue about. I can't pray to teach him anything, that's for sure. You don't pray to inform God. Adrian Rogers continued and said, you do not pray to impress God. Now, some people have this idea that if I'll 
suffer through praying, that God will be pleased with my great suffering through praying and the hard work and getting up extra early and sacrificing in prayer. But the New Testament, Jesus dealing with the Pharisees, he made it very plain that he was not going to be impressed with people's eloquent praying, people's loud praying, even people's often praying, if the goal of their praying was to impress God. I continue, how can I impress the God who knows everything about me? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm far from perfect. I don't know about you, but there are qualities and characteristics in my life that are a bit embarrassing that I hope some people never find out. But God knows everything about me. And I can't overcome through impressive praying all the bad things that God knows about me. I'm a sinner. I can't pray to impress God. He knows me. If I can't pray to inform God, I can't pray to impress God. Why do I pray? We pray to invite God. You see, prayer is that moment, is that time and that spirit that we have that says, God, I need you. God, I want you. God, I invite you to direct me and to lead me and To help me. Prayer is that thing. Not where we just ask a genie in the Bible to provide for us things we want. Or prevent things from happening to us that we don't want. We have a God who we are inviting him to lead and guide and direct and use our lives. Prayer is an invitation. Prayer is a declaration. I can't do this on my own. Prayer says God. I need you. Prayer says, God, this burdens me and I don't know what to do about it. Will you please take the reins of my life and lead me? Prayer reminds me of the bridle on a horse. If you've ever been around horses much, uh, the bridle on a horse is absolutely necessary but you know something about a bridle and a horse most of the horses i've been around don't love when their owner gets the bridle out for years i took care of a horse uh for pastor sexton the horse's name was nordale and nordale was a great horse he was fun to ride you could shoot a gun off of him he was he was a he was a great horse and uh, i loved fooling with him loved working with him and helping pastor in that way and but there's something about nordale he did not like his bridle. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to catch Nordell in the pasture field, you didn't go to him waving the bridle, say, Hey, Nordell, come on, I got your bridle. I got you. You know what happened? If he saw the bridle, if, he even, if you hinted to the fact that you had the bridle out and you went in the pasture to him, he went to the far other side of the pasture to get away from you because he did not want to be bridled. You could get him in a stall and have the bridle out. You know what he'd do, that rascal? He'd stick his head in the farthest corner of the stall and just try to avoid you. He knows that eventually that guy's going to get a bridle on me. 
but he didn't like it. You know why a horse doesn't like a bridle? A horse doesn't like a bridle because when the horse is bridled, he loses control. But then he becomes under control of a wiser, more intelligent, more capable leader. Prayer in the lives of Christians is us submitting to the bridle that God wants to give us in order that he might lead us. Let me tell you about a horse. There's never been a dandy of a horse that was not broken to a bridle. There's never been an effective horse that wasn't wearing the thing that allowed him to be controlled by the rider. There's been many of horse led out of a burning barn with a bridle. And when we submit to the bridle, when the horse submits to the bridle, then the horse has the opportunity to be all that he was designed to be. And in our lives, prayer is that thing in our lives where we yield to the Lord. Prayer is that thing where we give ourselves to God and we say, Here, Lord, I'm bridled. You can lead me. Here, Lord, I'm bridled. You can direct me. Here, Lord, I am prepared to take your instruction." Prayer. And the Lord wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. And unlike those moments when I'd get so aggravated at Nordale that I would grab him around the head and force him to wear his bridle. God will not force you to wear your bridle. God will not force you to pray. God will not force you to surrender your life to him. But let me tell you something. If you'll become a praying Christian, you'll be glad that you've submitted yourself to the leadership, to the God who created you, to the God who through his son Jesus Christ redeemed you, to the God who knows what's best for you and loves you. Prayer. Prayer Prayer availeth much. Praying. Prayer relinquishes control of matters of life to God. We ask God for help. We ask God for guidance. We ask God for strength. We ask God for mercy. We ask God for grace. And prayer availeth much. Let's consider our text this morning. We'll begin our reading here in verse number 13. The Bible says in verse number 13 of James chapter 5, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if any have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another. That ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Let's consider a few things this morning. Number one, practical praying. Practical praying. Now, look, the Bible has some interesting things to say about praying. 
In verse 13, it says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is there suffering? Is there trouble? Is there affliction? The Bible says the response that a Christian person should have to affliction is praying. Now, I want to stop and say something for just a moment. I'm confident that God in your life will allow affliction in order to drive you to praying. You see, if you have a burden that forces you to pray, whether God removes the burden or not, when you begin to submit yourself and pray, when you begin to yield yourself to God in prayer, I'll just tell you, the affliction becomes a blessing because when we pray, we surrender ourselves to the Lord. Is any afflicted? The Bible says let him pray. Oh, it's so important. It's good that we pray. It's important that we give God our burdens. It's important that we share with the Lord the things that are on our hearts and commune with God. He cares. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Is any afflicted? Let him pray. It's a practical thing to pray. And in our times of affliction, what should we do? We should pray. Look what it says next. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. How many of you have been afflicted and you find yourself praying? Amen. How many of you found yourself when everything's going just fine, everything's going right, you're happy, everything's good, you find yourself not praying? It happens, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing how quickly we become self-sufficient? Isn't it amazing how quickly we forget how badly we needed God last week, but this week the bills are paid, the health is good, food's in the refrigerator, and everything's fine, and hey, hallelujah, man, I'm good at life. The Bible says, hey, look, if you're afflicted, you pray. If you're merry, sing psalms. Why does it say it like that? The Psalms give praise to God. The Psalms glorify God. The Psalms to a merry heart testify to the fact that the reason I'm happy is because God has proved himself faithful. It's the spirit of prayer. It's a practical thing to pray when you're afflicted. And it's an equally practical thing to pray to God when you are merry. I think it's important we remember to pray when we're happy. As much as we remember to pray... When we're afflicted, if you're married, sing psalms. Verse 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. For sick folks, what are we to do? We're to pray. We're to pray for one another. It's important. You see, praying for others reminds us that we're not the only people on the planet. And when you yield yourself to the Lord, the Lord will guide you to know and understand that he has designed your life not to serve yourself only, but to serve others. It also says, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I think that's good. There have been a number of occasions throughout my ministry, I hate to even say it, it's the Lord's ministry that he's let me do, that people come burdened over their sickness, and they found this verse, and they say, Pastor, can we gather some people? Will you anoint me with oil and pray for me? And the answer is always yes. 
Hey, look, when we're sick, we should be seeking to pray for ourselves and seeking others to pray for us. We should be believing and trusting. You see, it's practical to pray. Sick folks, we need to pray. Pray. It's important. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The Bible says, In the prayer of faith shall save the sick. I like this verse. I think it's very appropriate. Some people read this verse and they think, My lands, we prayed that my loved one would be healed, but they died of their cancer anyway. How do you answer that? It's a tough thing to deal with, but some people say, Well, they just didn't have enough faith. All of our faith is small. God hears and answers our prayers, and God's answer is not always exactly what we want. But let me tell you something. If you've come to the place in sickness where you are praying, you've gotten on the right track. You've come to the place where you're surrendering to the Lord, submitting to the Lord, and God's will and God's purpose and God's plan is best. There are folks in our church family and in our community that this very moment we're praying praying the Lord will heal them. We're praying the Lord will work a miracle. We're praying the Lord will prevent the most tragic of things. But if he doesn't, does that mean he didn't hear our prayers? No. He's heard our prayers. We can trust him with the results. And praying has accomplished its great work if in fact we've surrendered our hearts to the Lord. And his guidance and his direction. The Bible says in verse 15, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. We should pray in faith believing. We should pray knowing that God can heal. We should pray trusting that God is able. We must always pray also knowing that God is sovereign and can be trusted. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. What else do we get when we pray? The forgiveness of sin. Isn't that great? You see, prayer and a connection to the Lord drives us to repentance. And it is through prayer that we have the opportunity to have forgiveness of sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just, forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, it's a practical thing to pray. It's a practical thing to pray. Verse number 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Oh, it's good that we pray. We pray for one another. We pray practically. I wonder, are you a praying Christian? You may be here and you think like I've thought for a long time. Why should I pray? I mean, when I pray, I don't always get what I want. Why should I pray? When I pray, I'm talking to a God that already knows everything. Why should I pray? It's a very practical thing to pray. Because prayer connects us to God. Prayer is our submission to his leadership. Prayer. 
practical praying. Number two, effectual, fervent praying. Look what the Bible says next in verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Let's talk about effectual, fervent praying. The word effectual is a, is a great word. Having adequate power or force to produce the needed effect. Adequate power. Now, look, sometimes we pray half-heartedly. God is great. God is good. Let's thank you for our food. I can't remember the rest of it. You know it. I like that. And it's a great way to teach children. At some point, it's not, prayer is not just a rehearsal. It's a great place to start. Factual. Now, effectual, having adequate power, force produce the needed effect. I was working on Ian's truck not long ago, and we had to take a bolt off. And the first thing I did was I got a ratchet and a socket. I tried to get it loose. It didn't work. So I did what you're supposed to do. I got a piece of pipe about that long. And that didn't work. And then I got a piece of pipe about that long. And that didn't work. And then I got a piece of pipe longer than that. And I broke the ratchet. And so I got another ratchet. And I broke that ratchet. Then I went and got my dad's ratchet. And I broke his ratchet. And then I went and got his wrench. Big, nice, beautiful, shiny wrench. The only problem was I needed the closed end on the wrench and the open end on the other end of the wrench was too fat to go over my long pipe. So, guess what I did? I became effectual. I took my angle grinder and I cut the end off of his new wrench so I could fit the pipe over it. <laughs> and you know what I did? I applied effectual... Did I, have I told you about that? <laughs> He's here today. I applied, applied adequate pressure. I applied adequate force. I applied adequate resources in order that I could get that bolt loose. And you know what I did? I got it loose. I got it loose. That's effectual. You know, sometimes we don't surrender the Lord. Sometimes we don't pray like we ought to. Because we don't really sense that need. But we need to get to the place in our lives where we are effectual. We are, we are doing what is necessary. We are adequately praying. And I'm not telling you that you pray hard so you get better results. I'm saying that when you understand how much you need God, you will pray. And if God allows things into your lives that brings you to the place where you know how much you need Him, you need to praise Him for it and pray and thank Him. See, effectual, fervent prayer availeth much. Effectual, fervent. The word fervent is hot and boiling. How many times have you been to the place where your yearning and need for God is hot and boiling? It's right. And God responds. God responds. You, you know, God, there's places in the scripture that says, teaches us that God responds to the cries of his children. 
If you've raised children, you know there are certain cries that you just ignore. Those little whiny crybaby cries, you just overlook them. But then there's that cry that you know. I guess the most uh, outstanding moment in my life where I've experienced this we were living in North Carolina, and Ian had his very first dirt bike, and he got to where he was pretty good riding it, and he'd got on the dirt bike, and he'd, uh, he made a mistake and hung the throttle wide open and held on. I was in the kitchen. I was watching out the window, and he rode his dirt bike as fast as it would go out of our backyard down into this deep ravine creek bed on the right side of our yard, and when he hit the creek bed he screamed and you know what I did somehow I made it from the kitchen to down in the creek holding Ian so quickly I don't even remember it I don't even know how it happened but when he cried I responded now I'm just telling you that we need to get to the place where we know we need God We need to get to the place where we know we have to have God. We need to get to the place where we're willing even to cry out in desperation to God. Let me tell you something that we're not aware of often. Every second of our lives, we are in desperate need of God. Yet somehow we live oblivious when things are going well. All of us need to get to the place where our praying is so necessary. Our need for God has become so real that we are crying out effectually and fervently. That's how God works. We need Him. Practical praying, number one. Number two, effectual, fervent praying. And finally, number three, prayer availeth much. Prayer availeth much. Availeth, the word availeth is to be a force, to be strong, to have power, as shown by extraordinary deeds. Prayer availeth much. So what do we get, preacher? Praying. We get the power of God working through our lives. I'll give you a silly illustration. I'm going to give you a Bible illustration, and we'll bring this thing to a conclusion. The silly one first. This is told as a true story, and I've heard it, and I have no reason to disbelieve it. I don't understand all about it, but I think you'll like it. There was a family that had a big farm, and they raised cattle, lots of cattle. And on their farm, they had a lot that was full of bulls. And in the bull lot, you had to take extra precaution and care to keep the bulls in the pen because bulls have, an op- have a, a tendency to be rather aggressive and mean. And so in this bull pen, there was a big fence, a heavy fence, and around it, a very hot electric fence wire. Well, it was something that had to be done on occasion. The water box in the bull pen had to be maintained and young man was tasked with going into the bullpen and cleaning out the water trough. His grandfather told him, make sure you carry this pitchfork, and that's what we use. We use the pitchfork to keep, us, to keep the bulls off of us, and we get the work done and get out of there. Just be careful. The young man took his pitchfork and went in the bullpen, and one ranked bull on that particular day was extra aggravated. He was there. The story goes that the bull got after him, and 
He took his pitchfork and tried to hit him first with the stick end. And then that didn't work. He took his pitchfork and he hit him in the forehead with the prong end and even broke one of the prongs off in that bull's forehead. And the bull continued. He was staggered for just a moment, but continued to get after him. And he said, finally, I got to the fence. And before I could get to the fence, the bull was right on top of him. He said, I had on rubber boots, and I grabbed a hold of the electric fence wire. He said, I wasn't grounded. I had a hold of the electric fence wire. I grabbed a hold of the electric fence wire. And when that bull got close to me, he said, I punched him right in the nose. And when I did, fire flew through his nostrils. He said, I'd completed the circuit. He said, I liked it so good I hit him two more times. And the bull left me alone. (laughs) Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know exactly how all that works. But it's a good illustration of what happens. You see, the Bible says prayer availeth much. What happens? When I surrender my will to God in prayer, I am connected to a power source that is greater than me. And God uses his power through me to accomplish a work that is greater than me. Let me tell you something. We all need that power. How many of you have looked at the daunting task of life that are ahead? Raising children, raising grandchildren, completing a career, surviving, period. How many of you look ahead and you think, oh my goodness, there's so much that I can't do. Let me tell you something, you need to be a praying Christian. You know why? Because prayer availeth much. The power of God flows through the Christian when we are surrendered to him, when we are connected to him. You see, prayer availeth much. It brings us to the last verse, two verses that we'll consider this morning. Verse number 17. The Lord illustrates this exact same point. The Bible says Elias, that's Elijah. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. What's that mean? That means Elijah was just a regular old guy. Elijah had like passions as we Elijah on some days was up and on some days he was down. If you study the life of Elijah, you see that happens, happens quite a bit. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. But what did God do through Elijah? The Bible says Elijah was a man of subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. I want to remind you of the king at the time of Elijah's life. His name was Ahab. He's married to a Jezebel of a woman named Jezebel. And Ahab was wicked. Ahab was wicked. Ahab was harming God's people. And Elijah was led by God to face Ahab and said, Hey, listen. If you don't straighten up, I'm telling you, God is going to cause it not to rain on this place and on our land. For a length of time. And he prayed. Ahab wouldn't heed and he prayed. And the end result was it didn't rain. It didn't rain. 
It didn't rain. It didn't. It just didn't rain. Story continues. At the end of three years, God leads Elijah to do something interesting. Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal. You remember this? He said, I tell you what, we're going to decide and see today whose God is real. He says, you guys call for fire to come down from heaven. And I'll do the same. And whosoever God answers by fire, that's the true God. Story goes like this. Prophets of Baal all day, they prayed, they cut themselves, they did all kinds of silly things. No fire. Elijah drenched his altar with water and prayed to God for fire. The fire fell from heaven and God proved himself. Elijah sends word to Ahab. Ahab, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. What that mean? He said, Ahab, I want you to know something. God's going to send the rain back. We know who the real God is, and my God's going to send rain. And Elijah went and prayed for rain. He sent his servant to a high spot to look toward the sea to see if there's a cloud. And there was none. He said, go back seven times. And the seventh time he came back, he says, I see out in the distance a cloud that looks like the size of a man's hand. He said, send word to Ahab, it's about to rain. Guess what happened? It rained. God proved himself. Was that because Elijah was such an extraordinary man of faith, some type of priest or pope or patriarch? No! He was a man subject like pastors we are. Why did God use Elijah? Because Elijah prayed. Elijah connected himself to the power source. He was connected to God and God used him in a mighty way. And the Lord gives testimony to the fact that Elijah, through prayer, proved God faithful. You see, I want you to know something. Prayer availeth much. When we live our lives surrendered to the will of God, we live our lives in prayer, Afflicted, pray. Mary, pray. Sick, pray. Sin-filled, pray. We live our lives praying. Guess what happens? We connect ourselves to the power of God. And the Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Oh, I want my life to avail much for the glory of God. Where can I get it? Prayer. Let's pray.